I have been teaching a series that I will conclude today. We started this October 30th talking about our authority in Christ. How many are glad that Jesus didn't leave you alone? How many are glad that Jesus gave you a seating that's equal with himself? Isn't that amazing? You're raised up together and you're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Is that good news? That means every demonic force has to bow its knee to you because you belong to Jesus. You and Jesus are in the same seat. Is that true? So we've been talking about our authority in Christ, and there's something, it's a subject that we need to know about, so we've gone into detail on that. We've talked about Satan's origin, we've talked about his fall, we've talked about the fall of man, we've talked about uh, the giving away of the authority God originally gave the human race that Jesus gave back to us when he was raised from the dead. Is that good news or what? All authorities given unto me, Matthew 28, in heaven and on earth, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. So the authority that that Adam was given by God, that he gave away to Satan, uh, that he became the God of this age, that Jesus uh, obtained again when he was raised from the dead belongs to me and you. Is that good news? So the last two weeks, uh, there's some huge challenges worldwide, particularly in America, since in a lot of ways we we lead the world. There are demonic forces that are seeking to enforce darkness and the dark kingdom worldwide. And they do it primarily two ways. Uh, one is huge worldwide, and it's really big in America right now. Deviant sexual behavior. What is deviant sexual behavior? Any sex uh, entered into outside of the bonds of marriage is deviant sexual behavior. That, that got a rousing applause, didn't it? Yeah. So uh, actually, uh, false gods are being worshipped today. Baal, or Baal is actually the way you pronounce it, was a, was a god that was worshipped um, in antiquity and history. Uh, throughout the history, he carried various names. But in America today, every person who enters into illicit sexual activity is worshipping at the feet of Baal. Phew. Well, that's something to think about, isn't it? And then Molech with abortions, particularly in America. Secondly, uh, last week we talked about uh, occult practices that are on the increase and rise in every level of society. Really, worldwide, there is a push to minimize Christianity, minimize the Ten Commandments, minimize the laws of God so that anything goes, anything, anything, anything. So we talked about that last week, and today we're going to go a completely different direction as I conclude this. How many know Jesus has given you victory over the enemy? In fact, you ought to get up every day smiling, singing, shouting, praising, and you ought to go somewhere looking to bless somebody else. How many believe that? So uh, I want to talk to you today about overcoming worry. There is a push today to uh, control the masses of humanity worldwide with both fear, and then fear is the baseline for worry. How many hear me? In fact, uh, you could say worry is faith in reverse. Fear is faith in reverse. Faith is trusting what God said over what you feel, over what you see, over what seems to be true. Faith is trusting God's word, period, right? What is fear? Fear. A false evidence appearing real would be an acronym for fear, but fear is also the baseline for worry, and a lot of people today have some real challenges with worry. Let me say this. There's a huge push today to control what you think and how you think and how frequently you think. How many hear me? Yes or no? 
And so I have noticed that. Um, in fact, let me just say, in my personal life, I have made some... Now, you know, I'm in the Word. I'm in, I get up early in the morning. I read. I pray. Then throughout the day, I mean, I study. I'm reading books. I'm usually got, I usually have four or five books going at any one time. So I read a lot. And then I pray a lot. And then, I, uh, and then in between time, my habit has been over the past 46 plus years is when I have idle mental time. That is, I don't have to direct my thoughts because of my job or because I'm with someone, or I'm, I'm, I'm involved in something, I can just let my mind kind of idle. When I have idle mental time, I've learned to put my mind on the Word. Did you hear what I'm saying? When I wake up at night, I mean, I, I just, I go through themes of Scripture in my mind and during the day, and I've noticed this, the Lord's been pulling me. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Do you? I listen to podcasts. I listen to the Word online. I have a Bible, you know, on my phone like most people do, and you've, you've got the apps where you can hear the audio Bible and that. I do that, and I listen to teaching. Then I listen to podcasts from various people, but I rarely have any idle time. I, don't, I make sure that I fill my time up with things that will, that will help life progress and help me be what God's called me to be. But I've noticed recently the Lord, I mean, I, it's, it's almost like an, an afterthought. I'll get in my truck, and I'll go somewhere, and I'll start to turn on a podcast, and I'm hearing the Lord say, just wait on me. Just get quiet. Did you know we're a culture that has very little quiet time? If you don't have a lot of quiet time, you're not absorbing what you're reading if you are reading. Did you hear what I'm saying? On my bicycle, I ride bikes on the Noose River Trail. I've told you that so many times. I uh, usually have the Bible on audio or, or a book on audio that's going in my earbuds. But recently I'm riding my bike and I'm just hearing the Lord say, just, just be quiet and just ride and think and let me minister to you. How many know God wants His Word to be absorbed in your thinking processes? And if His Word controls your mind, you don't have a place for worry. Yes or no? Uh, I go for a walk, I usually walk two miles around my neighborhood and I have my earbuds in, I'm usually listening. But here recently God's messing, I mean, he's, I, I went yesterday two miles. After we quit raining. And, uh, you know, but the Lord was speaking to me. Don't turn anything on. Just, just, just wait on me. Just wait on me. And you know how many know the Lord will minister to you? So the most important thing we can do today is con we control our thoughts, not someone else. So there is a ploy. There's a design, I believe, worldwide to control the masses of humanity with what they're ingesting into their minds. Yes or no? I made a decision some years ago. I do not look at the mainstream media. It has become a propaganda element. See, that gets a few yeses, but then everybody else is looking at me. If you don't think that's true, stop it for a while and see what changes and what others are saying and what you're, what you're not hearing and what others are fearful of. Did you hear what I'm saying? So the most, most important thing we can do uh, today, as we prepare for Jesus to return, is keep our thoughts. Yes or no? Luke 21, 25, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. Upon the earth there will be distress, trouble, anguish of nations, in bewilderment and perplexity without resources. This is amplified. 
um, without resources, left wanting, embarrassed, in doubt, not knowing which way to turn, at the roaring, the echo of the tossing of the sea. Then verse 26 says, men swooning away or expiring with fear and dread and apprehension and expectations of the things that are coming on the world for the very powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then a few verses down from that, Luke 21, 34, and 35, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. So it looks like we're living in the time just before Jesus comes back, and it's a time typified in the Bible by extreme pressure. Yes or no? In fact, the word uh, tribulation in the Bible, it doesn't necessarily mean seven years. It just means a hard place is the Greek word philipsis. And it's really a picture word in the, in the first century uh, j- just to aggravate somebody who was uh, doing what the authorities thought was wrong. They would lay them flat on the ground, take a boulder, lay it on their chest, and just let it go. You know what? It constricted the airways and made it very difficult for the person to breathe. So to breathe, you've got you've to press against the pressure of the boulder that was placed on your chest. Now, that doesn't sound like fun, does it? And that's the Bible word for pressure, for tribulation, sometimes the word affliction. Did you hear me? So do you ever feel pressed? Do you ever feel pressured? And see, so we can overcome that, and that's what Jesus is saying here. Watch out that you don't succumb to the pressure of the age. So the way we keep from that is watching what we think. This is a verse, Colossians 3, has become a really good friend of mine. Sometimes I wake up at night, and I just muse this until I go back to sleep. And then during the day, it comes up frequently. Colossians 3, 1, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. It says, seek those things. Then it says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Not just seek heaven, think heaven. Yes or no? Hmm. Set, that's a direction of the word. Set your mind. Set your mind towards things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. It would be good throughout the day, every once in a while, to assess what you're thinking about. When I first came to the Lord in 1976, most of my teenage years, my mind was in the gutter and would just I would just think horrible things. When I came to the Lord, I found the most difficult thing for me was to harness my mind and make my mind do what it wanted me to do. Well, what I wanted it to do, not what it wanted me to do. I did it wrong, right? You get what I'm saying? And that was the most challenging thing that, I, that pressed me as an 18-year-old young man was, how do I, how do I harness my thoughts? I tried, I tried worshiping, I f- tried praising God, I tried prayer, but the only thing that I found effective and successful in changing my thought patterns was memorizing Scripture and keeping a Scripture on purpose in my head and not allowing my mind to go where it wanted to go. How many hear me? How many know that you have control over your thoughts? You have control. Nobody else but you. You should never yield. I mentioned last week to hypnosis or anything like that because that's somebody else controlling you. If all you do is listen uh, to media and all kinds of other outlets that you can listen to now on your on your uh, all the devices that we have at the 
at the fingertip. I notice when I'm walking and then when I'm riding my bike, hardly anybody is spending time musing or thinking. Instead of musing, they're amusing. They're not thinking, right? Yeah, so, so take time. I found as an 18-year-old, if I would direct my thoughts, the enemy had no place to come into me. We're going to look at that today. How many hear me? And, and you know what revolutionized my life, and that's what my, that's what my book is about. I wrote last year, Control Your Thoughts, You Control Your Life, is uh, I found that if I could con- control what I put in and then control what I think about, and that's under my control and not anybody else's. Yes or no? then you know what? I could keep the enemy out of my life and then I would have the peace of God. In fact, Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace. In the Hebrew it says, you will keep him in peace, peace. It's double peace. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, worthy of respect, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about these things. Now, I literally took that verse in the King James back in 1976. I put it on a note card, stuck it in my, we don't have pockets on shirts now, have you noticed? But I had a pocket on my shirt. And I put that, I put that on a note card every, every, usually about every hour or so I'd pull it out. As I was going through my day working or whatever I was doing, I'd pull it out. And, and true, honest, just, pure, lovely, virtuous, praiseworthy. And I think, have I been thinking? And most of the time I would have to say, nope. I, I, I devi- deviated from that. I've been thinking on what I shouldn't, but it helped me eventually control my thinking patterns. Do you know you can, if you can do something for 21 to 28 days, you change your habit pattern? That begins the formation of a new habit. So if you can create a habit of thinking, but differently, did you know you can change your whole life? Do you know you can go from a person who is melancholy, who, who has a spirit of melancholy, who's blue, who's down, who sees the, ha- the glass half empty instead of half full. You can go to that, uh, from that to, to a person who is overcoming, who is victorious, who has a smile, who sees the cup half full, who sees God greater than any problem that you face. Yes or no? When I begin to change that, my life began to change. So my first point here is a strong push today Control what we think. We should be controlling what we think with the word. Number two, give your worries to God. This is a familiar passage, but I feel led to go over it again. Give uh, 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting. Everybody say casting. I'm going to look at four words in this verse real quickly. Casting all. I'm going to look at the word all. Your care on him, for he cares for you. That phrase. Let's look at all four of those. God doesn't want us to worry. This is the antidote for worry. And the first antidote is that word casting. Again, everybody say casting. And the Greek word literally means to fling or quickly toss upon or to deposit with him. The idea is you have something. And, and let's say somebody, you know, you talk about a hot potato. Somebody gives you something hot, you immediately move it, Right? Uh, or, you know, you pick up a potato, you had them in the oven, and you got a steak and potato, and, and you got your salad, you hungry yet? And, you know, so you pick up a potato, it's wrapped up maybe in some tinfoil, and you, ow, because it just came out, well, and, you, and you get it away from you. Well, that's the idea behind that word, casting, to quickly remove it from yourself. Then it says casting all. Everybody say all. What is all? It means just what it says, every single thing casting, getting away from me, every single care. Everybody say care. 
The Greek word there is used several times in the New Testament. I'm not going to take time to look at all the places it was used, but it literally means to be drawn in two different directions. So worry is a distracted mind. This word marimda means a distraction. A care is a distraction. That is, you're thinking about one thing, but there's something in the background that just keeps coming to color all of your thoughts, and it colors them all, whatever. You hear what I'm saying? So that word uh, is distraction, casting all your distractions, your worries, your cares on him because he cares for you. The best example I have of that, I don't really like to talk about this one much, because it, but it really happened. I was 39 years of age. This was 1997. Susan and I had uh, four children ages 13, 11, 9, and 5. And we were B-U-S-Y, busy. And I had just moved to Raleigh. We had just moved to Raleigh three years prior. I took this church over, and uh, the pa- previous pastor had had a failure in his life and was dismissed. We have a few people that are still here from there. And um, so really, I, I felt the need uh, just to manage the thing. It wasn't just, uh, it wasn't a growing, thriving place. It was a place that was hurting. And, and you know, it was in a lot of need. So I came in as a young man. I was 36 years old when I took uh, the ministry here over and we were on Garner Road in a small, uh, a small building. And uh, but I felt needed the need at the time was to just oversee all the all the changes that had occurred and and really start ministries over again. And you know I have this entrepreneurial attitude. I can make anything work. That is, I can get it going and get it moving and then give it to somebody else. And so I was about three years later. Uh, all the major ministries we raised them back up, started them again, and I was kind of overseeing the people that we. Uh, that had volunteered to help oversee various areas. So I was really, really, really busy. In fact, busy is an understatement. I hardly had time. Then we had all of our kids at home. They're all in private school. My goodness, Susan's working uh, because my salary just wasn't enough to pull our kids in school. And it was just a, oh my goodness, it was a crazy time. So uh, May of 1997, I'm 39 years of age. And um, uh, Jim Zirkel founded Living Water Teaching back in 1979. And for the first time, I met him in 1997. His plane had, uh, had engine problems and was in Greensboro getting a new engine. And he called me out of the blue on a Saturday and said, look, I, I, this is unusual for me. You don't know me. I don't know you, but you've been support. just started supporting our ministry. I said, that's correct. He said, I'd like to, I'd like to go out and eat with you and like to minister in your church. I said, both counts uh, accepted. So I met him at a restaurant in Cary, and on the way to the restaurant, listen to this, y'all. I went to a, uh, I went to an ATM at my bank, and uh, and went. I don't know why. Usually, you just use a credit card, but I've got cash out to go feed him and me. And uh, so I went to the ATM to get cash out. When I put my card in and pressed how much cash I wanted, guess what it said? Account overdrawn. I've never overdrawn a checking account in my whole life. In my whole life. If you want to get it under my skin, that's with my money. Well, that got under my skin. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I pressed the button again, took the card out, put it back in. Certainly they got something wrong. Pressed it in. Because, you know, I knew I had plenty of money in the bank. Pressed it again. Uh, count overdrawn. I said, Jesus. So I had to use a credit card. So I went to, I went to, um, I went to uh, a restaurant in Cary and uh, sat down at the table with Jim Zirkel. I never met him before. He begins telling me about his ministry 
that had been in existence since 1979 in Quezaltenango, Guatemala. And he talked to me about the trees they're planting, the build, buildings they're building, the people are being ministered to and all the things they're doing. And while he's talking, you know what I'm doing? Uh, could you say that again? <laughs> all I can think about is, where's my money? Where's my money? Where's my money? And you know, his mouth is moving, but I can't hear a word he's saying. Y'all, that's a terrible thing to do. And I I know I interrupted him four or five times. I said, Jim, could you please just repeat that one more time, what you just said? And I I never told him what I was dealing with. But see, I was distracted. Let me tell you what I did to finish the story. This is when the internet was beginning to, you know, get kind of strong, but it wasn't strong yet. I still paid my bills, hard copy checks and all so I, I sat down at the, at the desk and I was paying my bills and so I had my checkbook and my bills and so as I wrote a check for this particular payment, whether it's the electric bill, the gas bill, this, that and the other, uh, so I'm writing and every time I did, I would, I would balance my checking account and put down the amount left after I paid the previous bill, right? And so I'm doing that and I'm going bill after bill. I have five or six bills to pay, so here I go. I'm, I'm writing and every time I'm putting the amount over here, uh, of, of, of what's left in the checking account, then I pay the next bill. Well, with one of the bills, guess what I did? I wrote the whole amount of my checking account to that vendor. It happened to be Progress Energy. Yeah. I didn't know I, listen, I didn't know I did it. That's called being distracted. Would you agree? And it was so long that it had gone in the hard Pony Express mail downtown Raleigh had gone to the person's desk. They had cleared the check and then I had no money. That's where my money went. I called them. I couldn't wait for Monday morning. Jim come to preach and I could hardly remember what he preached that Sunday at church. I'm thinking about where's, where my money, where my money. You know, kids ask me something. I'm, what'd you say? Huh, 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 huh. You ever uh, watched It's a Wonderful Life? You know how obsessed he got with where's the money because the guy stole his money and they had to raise it up? Well, that was me. That was me. So I called, when I called Duke, this true story, when I called Duke Energy Monday morning, I said, my name is Mitch Hort. And the person said, we thought you'd be calling us. I'm making this up. I'm making this up. And they said, tell you what, as soon as you get here, we'll have a check waiting on you. I said, oh, you're so gracious. Thank you. I like to tell, I don't want to tell you, I did that one more time. I'm not kidding to the cable company. I'm not making this up one more time. So uh, the second time cured me for good. You hear what I'm saying? So when when I'm casting all your care, see distractions. So when I think about distractions, that's the ultimate distraction for me. You get it? So, so you've ever been so involved with life, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, you don't know how to act, you don't know how to talk. See, that's a care, that's a worry. And that's what was messing with me. So he says, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Everybody say, for he cares for you. There's different translations, 20th century New Testament says, he makes you his care. Beck translation says, he takes care of you. I really, don't you like that? He makes you his care, he takes care of you. Or the Moffat translation says, his great interest is in you. Isn't that good? Isn't it good to know that God is interested in all your little stuff? New, Eng- New English Bible, you are his charge. Or Knox translation, he is concerned for you. That word concerns not the same as care. 
and it's not, in fact, we had a, we had a lady that prophesied. I, I first moved to Tulsa in this big old church, and uh, this lady spoke up one Sunday morning service and prophesied and said, thus says the Lord, uh, don't feel so badly because you're worried about things and blah, 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 because sometimes I worry too. And everybody went, huh? How many know God never worries? Casting all your cares on him, for, for he cares for you, is not the same. It's a concern. It's a loving desire to help. So Amplified New Testament, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. I like it. For he cares for you affectionately. Everybody say affectionately. And cares about you watchfully. Isn't that good? You know how much time I've spent on 1 Peter 5, 7, Amplified Bible, just soaking that into me. Uh, the Passion Translation says this, Pour out all your worries and stress upon him mm, and leave them there, for he always tenderly cares for you. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Um, Satan attacks through the avenue of thought because the next verse, 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, everybody say sober. This is New King James. Be vigilant. Everybody say vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, verse 9 says, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. That word sober is the, uh, is the Greek word for mind, and it really literally means to be free from mental intoxicants. Did you know you could be, you could be intoxicated mentally? The way that people are intoxicated uh, physically when they drink alcoholic beverages. Did you know that? And that it has the same kind of effect on you. So he says, be free from mental intoxicants. What happens with a drunk person? Now, you know, I did drugs and stuff, but I never did drink much because my grandfather was an alcoholic. This game schizophrenic and I only saw him in his casket. For that reason, I had a real disdain for drink. I don't drink, and I don't have, it, even if I wanted to, I wouldn't drink. Even if I didn't know the Lord, I don't think I would drink. I just don't want the stuff. But uh, I've spent, uh, wow, <laughs> uh, thousands and thousands of miles, long-haul flights, going from here to India, here to Africa, here to Russia, here to Europe, whatever, and, uh, and, and, you know, you have no idea how many times I sat beside an inebriated person. And I found out some uncanny things about these people say anything. And they'll accept most anything because they have distorted perceptions. You think they're listening to you. No, they're just, they're just enjoying life, <laughs> whatever you say, Right? Because they have distorted perceptions. Then uh, a, a drunk person also has, has uh, uh, physical limitations. They can't walk properly. They can't walk a straight line. Also, if they do it too much, there's evasion of responsibility. Is that true? They can't follow through with what they're supposed to do. Is it true? And then eventually problems just overwhelm the person. Is that true? Do you know worry has exactly the same kinds of results? If you're a person that's a chronic warrior, it can absolutely dampen life. Then so he says, uh, be sober, be, be, be ever, be, be sober, be free from mental intoxicants, be vigilant or ever on your guard. That means always watching. Why? Because Satan prowls like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I've, I've told this story, I haven't told it in a long time, but my mom and dad walked uh, every day for my mother's back. She had problems with her back and her 
early years, and uh, a guy said, best thing I'll ever do, she had back surgery, is, is to walk. So they did, and so I'd go home and visit them and walk, and we were walking down a country road, and, and, and I'm looking way in the distance, and here's this dog, I mean, full speed ahead, uh, barking, woo, 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 and here he comes, and he's coming towards us, and I say, mom and dad, uh, uh, doggy dog up here, he's, uh, uh, he's not happy with us. Oh, they said, Mitch, don't worry about it. that's just happy the dog. Said, he don't sound happy to me. He's barking loud and he's running strong. And they said, oh, Mitch, don't bother. And so we never stopped our pace. We were speed walking and he's speed running. And so he came right up to us, no kidding. And I thought, I, I grimaced because I thought he was going to take my leg off or something. And he sat his, he had a little stub tail. His little stub tail's just moving. He sat his butt right on the ground. And then when he looked up at me with uh, us with his tongue hanging out, he had no teeth. <laughs> True story. And so, see, cat, Happy couldn't bite you if he wanted to. He has no teeth. And see, it reminded me of 1 Peter 5, 8. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. He's got a big roar, but he didn't have a bite. If you know who you are in Jesus, right? Seeking whom he may devour. And so he tries to devour us with worry and stress, right? Then number four, you got seven points. Number four, Satan enters your life on a road. Everybody say, on a road. On a road of thought. Ephesians 6, 11 is several translations. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wilds. Everybody say wilds. We don't use that in our vernacular today. Here's the New International Version. Uh, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Or New Living Translation says, stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Or New Century Version says, you can fight against the devil's evil tricks. Or the uh, complete Jewish Bible says uh, you may be able to stand against the deceptive tactics. So wild schemes, strategies, evil tricks, deceptive tactics. How does Satan come? He comes, he comes on a road, the word wilds, and uh, they get all these other words from this Greek word, uh, methodia, and it really means with a road. That is, he's got one way to enter a human being's life. He comes with a road. It's a scheme. It's an artifice. It's a deception. He comes on a road of deception, and he comes into your thought life first of all. How many hear what I'm saying? He comes down a road or a path. He comes on our thoughts. And if we're going to hit him off, then we have to learn to deal with our thoughts. And so worry thoughts are never God's plan. It's never God's purpose. God doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants us to trust Him in everything, yes or no? So number five, don't allow Satan to play mind games going down the road that he's going to enter into your life, 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Everybody say devices. Uh, again, the complete Jewish Bible says... Um, uh, so that we will not take it, be taken advantage of by the adversary, for we are quite aware of his schemes. So devices, schemes. That uh, word devices is, again, the Greek word for mind, and it means to exercise the mind or that which is thought out, or you could say, lest, we, um, uh, lest he should take advantage of us with his mind games. Have you ever played mind games with the devil? You will lose. Kenneth Hagin said this when I was a young man and I went to his, one of the Bible schools I attended was his. He would say this, he would say it this way, if Satan can keep you in the arena of thought, he will whip you and whip you badly. 
He's been playing mind games for thousands of years. And you're not that old. He has a lot more experience with mental, with mental games. Yes or no? So if you stay in the thought realm trying to figure everything out, you're going to lose because he can outmaneuver you. And so Kenneth Hagin would say, if Satan can keep you in the arena of thought, he will whip you and whip you badly. But if you can keep him in the arena of faith, then you can win every challenge and you will be victorious in every battle. Yes or no? I like that. So don't play mind games with the devil. He wants you to get drunk with worry so that you'll view life from a distorted perspective and give up your faith and just, and just forget it all, right? Huh? Charles Mayo, um, actually one of the founders of the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, said this, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system, and profoundly affects uh, the health you have not, never known a man who died from overwork, but many who died from doubt. That's good, huh? Yeah, worry. Worry if it constricts the blood vessels. I mean, it, it, it's really, it, it puts a taxation on every organ in the human body. A Berkeley translation of uh, Proverbs 14.30 says this, A relaxed mind makes for physical health, but passion is rottenness to the bones. I've got quite a number of... Uh, of translations in the notes I don't have time to get to. Number six, use the weapon of the Word of God to challenge wrong thinking. And this is familiar, but 2 Corinthians 10, 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Then he ends by saying, uh, by saying, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, pulling down and casting down. Um, we get our word catharsis from that. Cleanse your mind from the negative things that come in. Uh, the strongholds or strongholds of thought are patterns of thinking that can absolutely whip you. How many hear what I'm saying? strongholds, and then he talks about arguments. We get our word logistics, it's a list. It's a list that causes you to act a certain way. It's thinking that precedes behavior, arguments. So he says, he says we pull down strongholds and cast down arguments. We cast these things out of our mind. We don't allow the enemy to take authority over our minds. We deal with it, and the only way to do that is cast your cares don't become mentally intoxicated. Be vigilant with your thought life and watch what you're thinking through the day. Yes or no? Which leads me to my last point. Detailed prayer can cure worry. Now, this uh, verse I've mentioned so often, but it's extremely personal to me. I, I bought a J.B. Phillips translation. In fact, my mother and father had one uh, back before I knew the Lord and then when I came to Jesus in 1976 and then later on uh, moved to Tulsa, I frequented a, a, a bookstore near the Rhema campus and I found a J.B. Phillips translation of the, um, of the New Testament and he translated the New Testament in 1958, had some revisions since. But when, he came, when it came to Philippians 4.6 and I would read my Bible in the morning early in my young years and I came across this verse and it was during a, a really difficult time in my life when I was just really starting out in pastoral ministry. Philippians 4, 6, J.B. Phillips translation says, don't worry over anything whatever. Isn't that good? 
Now, see, I like that. It's very definitive. It tells you what not to do. Don't worry. And most people say, well, you shouldn't be worrying. Well, they just leave you hanging. Well, what do you do if you're not going to worry? I like this. Tell God every detail of your need. So what replaces worry? Telling God every detail of your need. Does that make sense? What replaces worry? What? Telling God every... Say, say telling God every detail of your need is a replacement for worry. Isn't that good? So he says, don't worry over anything, whatever. Tell God every detail of your need in sincere. That means you be honest about it. And thankful prayer. If you, if you combine that with Mark eleven twenty four, which says, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you um, ask when you pray, believe you receive them, you'll have them. The Bible in basic English makes it very clear for this reason. I say to you, whatever you make a request for in prayer, have faith that it has been given to you. Is that good? And you will have it. Let me read it again. For this reason I say to you, whatever you make a request for in prayer, have faith that it has been given to you, and you'll have it. Is that past, present, or future tense? This is not a trick question. It's past tense. Is that past tense? Have faith that it has been. Is that past, present, and future? Past. Everybody say past. It has been given to you, and you'll have it. So, so see, if you cover everything with believing prayer, that's the cure for worry. But I like J.B. Phillips. He said, tell God every detail of your need. See, see that the idea is detail it. When you detail a car, what do you do? You get in every nook and cranny, get under the seat, you get in all the crevices, Right? Or on the outside, I mean, you detail everything. You get in, in the lights and all that, and you just make it look really sharp, right? Polished. Well, what do you do when you tell God every detail? You tell Him every nuance of what bothers you or aggravates you. Is that true? Because you know how thoughts are. You know, my thoughts, you don't have any money in the bank. How are you going to pay your bill? What are you going to do now? How are you going to go buy groceries for your kids? You, you got four kids. What are you going to do? Well, I mean, what are you going to do? You got to buy gas. How are you going to put gas in your car? What you going to do? What you gonna... see every detail, right? So I did a lot of care casting that weekend in 1997. You hear me? In 1984 was my first pastoral position at a church in Oklahoma, and I started that position. I think it was uh, August 15th. Yep, August 15th, 1984. I was. Um, 25 years old and turned 26 in October, uh, Susan was pregnant with our first child. And um, I was 25, and uh, fear came on me. Uh, I, was, I was a janitor in the church for a year and a half. It's a big church, lots of people, and you've heard me talk about that. But uh, it was overwhelming. The pastor asked me to be on a pastoral team and do uh, personal ministry on his behalf. So we ended up doing all of the... Um, all of the family and marriage counseling and all of the pre-marriage counseling and then just crisis stuff. And most crisis stuff is family things and marriage and all that. And I felt really, really overwhelmed. Then I had 120 people that I had to train to do what I did, to oversee our altar calls and ministry. And we had a, 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 a during the week, people would come in to talk and I trained a group of people to help me do all that. And we had a number of other things I did. We have five areas of the ministry. I just felt really really overwhelmed. Here's what start, I started feeling like. 
Every day when I get in my car to go to work, I felt like today may be the day the pastor comes in the office and says, we're going to have to let you go, and he has a little pink slip in his hand. He had 54 employees at the church, and that's all I could think about. Would you like to think about that every day? Let me just say it bothered me, and Susan, she's about ready to have a baby. In fact, my son was born October 16th, 1984. And so, you know, she's pregnant, and it's our first child, and we're preparing a nursery, and then I'm busy, and I've never done anything like this before. I've been to two Bible schools, but never been in a ministry position. And then I didn't know what in the world. I said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I'm a greenhorn. I've never done this. I've been to Bible school, but I've never put the rubber to the road. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? It was like the enemy got in my head. What you going to do today? You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up so bad somebody's going to tell the pastor he's going to chew you out and you're out the door. I heard it all the time. And you know what I started doing? Here's, here's the cure. I read Philippians 4, 6, J.B. Phillips' translation. Don't worry over anything, whatever. Tell God every detail. I said, well, I'm going to do that today. So I, I got up. I always got up early. I got up at 4.30. I was at my office at, well, at, my office at the church at 5.00. And I read my Bible, and then uh, we had just built a building the year prior to that, and the topsoil with the 80 acres of land, and the topsoil from where they built the building and the parking lots and all that, they, they pushed it to the back of the property, and it uh, is probably 40 feet high at least. A big old, big old mound of dirt, black dirt. And uh, I would, after I read my Bible, in the morning the sun hadn't come up yet. I would go out that building because I didn't want anybody to hear me telling the Lord I'm about to lose my job. I walked out behind that, that big old mound of dirt, and I said, God, we got to talk. And I told him every single thing that bothered me about my job, how I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know how to train people to minister. I didn't know how to train people to do this and that. I didn't know what I was doing when somebody came up, and I'd look at all my list. I, I, I had people to talk to all day long. I had a list. I'd take my list out there. This person's coming in, and they would tell me the reason the person's coming. I don't know how to help this person with their finances. I don't know how to help this person that's uh, they've had adultery in their relationship. I don't know how to help this, this person that's thinking about committing suicide. Lord, I don't, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know how to help them. I, I don't know. And, and Lord, my mind is just on my mind. I, I ask you to help me. Every single time I stand in front of, or sit in front of somebody, show me exactly what to say and how to say it. In Jesus, I expect your power. I expect the Holy Spirit to rise up. And I asked him. I told him every detail. I told him about the needs I had at home. You know, I had a new baby coming up. I prayed for Susan. I prayed for Susan having a baby. I never had a wife that had a baby before. I was going to be in the room with him. And I didn't know anything about doing that. So I prayed about every detail of Susan, you know, uh, starting Braxton hits contractions, contractions, going to the hospital, moving to the hospital. I mean, we got to the hospital you know, when she did have the baby, at, uh, we got to the hospital at 1.27 a.m. on October 16th. She had the baby at 3.27 a.m. She has them fast. <laughs> but see, I prayed it all out before I got there. You see, and I was worried about all that. You know what I'm saying? And then after the baby comes, we got to buy formula. We got to buy diapers. We got to buy this and that, you know. And uh, Lord, how do we have the money to do all that on on my little salary I got. How am we going to do that? But you know what I found out? When you tell God every detail of your need and then you have faith that it has been given to you already, you can't do anything but thank God. And I would walk back behind the, 
a mound of dirt, and after I told him every detail, I would just sit, I mean, honestly, I'm going back and forth, and I'm saying, Lord, thank you. Everything I just prayed about, thank you for doing it. Thank you for bringing it to pass. Thank you for showing me how to help these people. Thank you for showing me how to train these people. Thank you for Susan having that baby in a healthy way. Susan's going to live. She's going to thrive. That baby's going to live. That baby's going to thrive. We're going to have all the money we need to do everything we need to do. Father, thank you because I expected him to answer my prayer. Then you see, when you do this, listen, when, when you do this, then all day long when the thoughts come, what you going to do? Say, you've already prayed. Say, Lord, I've already prayed. See, when you pray the prayer of faith for worry, you pray one time. And then all day, if it comes to you a hundred times, the 100th time you say this after you've said it 99 times plus one, Lord, I prayed about that this morning and you're working that out and that's going to be just fine in Jesus' name. That's how you cast cares, right? Now, I've taken that same principle throughout all my life. 1988, Susan and I went to South Carolina and started a church. Now you got all these people to help you start churches, but back then... Ain't nobody going to help you. You are on your own. So I had my bank account. We had two children, and Susan was pregnant with number three, with Jessica. And I started a church in a small town in South Carolina with no support whatsoever. Not even the church I came from helped us financially, except they paid my insurance for 18 months. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing else. And you know what? I took that same principle. Lord, how are we going to make it? How are we going to get the church going? How are we going to rid a building? How are we going to minister to people? What do I do? I've never pastored before. You know what I found out? When you pray the prayer of faith and you expect God to do what you ask him to do and you tell him every detail, he comes through every single time. And I found out when you pray the prayer of faith, it guards your mind. How many hear me? And it keeps you from going south with your emotions. How many hear me? I got all these stories. My goodness, 1990, I started a business. I, I turned the church over once I got it started and turned it over to a guy in the community because God led me to go in a traveling ministry. And while I was in the traveling ministry, I augmented my income. The Lord led me to start a little business, paint and wallpaper, whatever. And I started doing that, and uh, I put an ad in the paper called it Excellence Painting Services. And so I was expecting God to come through. And you know what? Uh, um, people were staying away in large numbers. People were not calling my number for my help in large numbers. Did you get that? Nobody was calling, nothing. So I'd walk it back and forth in the morning, say, Lord, thank you. I thank you that people are calling me for ministry on the weekends. And Lord, I just thank you. I told him every detail. Lord, I need X amount of dollars every week to make ends meet. I got three children at the time. Lord, I thank you that you're making a way where there is no way. You're making a stream in the desert. You're making a way in the wilderness. You're working out for me. Thank you, but my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. By Christ Jesus, thank you for your provision. Thank you for your supply. I'm a giver and giving it shall I'll be given unto you. I thank you that money's coming my way. Thank you, thank you. I'm ministering, I'm blessing people and all my needs are met and we got a lot of people calling us for business. Well, that didn't happen for a period of time and it finally started happening when I got, listen, when I got the first phone call, true story, first, first phone call. In fact, before I got a phone call, Susan's aunt called me. Y'all okay? I gotta stop. You want me to finish the story? Her aunt Elma called me. Elma was a funny lady. She called me and said, Mitch, I want you to come paint my living room. You said, you got that paint company. I said, I'll be right there. So I had my ladder, my paint and all that. And I'm up on the ladder painting. And I got a whole gallon of uh, white paint. And I had it hooked, you know, secured. I thought to the ladder, well, guess what? The whole gallon fell on the floor. The whole gallon. I said, oh, Jesus, please don't let her come in here, y'all. 
she come in and all I saw was big saucer eyes. And she had this way with her mouth. I said, Elma, don't worry. Every, every drop of that paint will come out that carpet. And I got every bit of it out. Every bit. But I had things like that happen. I could tell you stories. And that's when I'd just gotten started. But eventually the uh, business really took off and God blessed us in a big way. But to start with, I had to cast all of my cares. I've been here at Victory for 28 years. I'm into my 29th year. You know how many times when our church was small, I would go somewhere with my Bible and a book or two and I would just pace the floor and tell God every single detail of my need because the enemy would come playing mind games with me. You think you're going to make it? You're nobody. You're nothing. Nothing's going to happen. Nobody cares about you. Nobody's listening to you. You're not going to be able to pay the rent on your building. You're an idiot. You're a fool. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing, 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 nothing. If you've ever had things like that happen to you, you learn how to pray real fast. And you know what I found out? If you tell God every detail of your need in serious, sincere, thankful prayer, and you believe that you receive the answer, you have faith that it's already been granted you, God will come through every time. How many hear me? Is that good news? So, you know, uh, we're living in a really crazy time, and... Uh, uh, Jesus is coming back at some point. The world is changing and everything's a mess in every area of life. But you know what hasn't changed? God Almighty and His Word and His promises and His Spirit and the blood of Jesus. How many know God's promised provision and He's promised to make a way for us?